You're listening to There Ought to Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. Good morning. Good, good morning, morning, everyone. Wow. Wait, what is going on? Michael says good morning. He never says good morning at home. Uh, this week, we're going to start off with our good friends at Tesla. Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. Now, if you haven't been paying attention, Tesla sells something called autopilot, enhanced autopilot, full self-driving, the nonsense mode, dumb, dumb, give us your money mode. Um, and well, uh, we've talked about many times about how we have issues with the very least of just calling something autopilot when it's not. And now the good folks at NHTSA said, wait a second, we should look into this. And they've been looking into it because these vehicles have been having some issues. Now, one of the things most consumers have the belief that, hey, I have something called autopilot. It drives itself. Tesla, Tesla's put out videos where the car is steering itself, doing all sorts of things. Um, these are highly edited videos that are essentially lies. Uh, and then in very small, fine print on their website, it says, humans must be paying attention at all times. Keep your hands on the wheels. Uh, hands attended to. This is all, these videos are just for fiction and for entertainment purposes only. Something like that. They have some vague legal description like that. And one of the things that uh, this hacker hacked into uh, Tesla's software and discovered something called Elon mode. Well, that's what he's calling it. In the comments of the code, apparently it was listed as executive mode that allows you to bypass these basic safety features that say, hey, put your hands on the wheel, dummy. Let's make sure you're actually paying attention. Uh, and so part of NHTSA's investigation is they're looking into that and they're looking at, uh, you know, Tesla's crashing into, crashing into things when they shouldn't be crashing into things. Michael, I'm sure you have some thoughts. Well, my, my thoughts on this is it's just another little reactive order to Tesla that doesn't address the overall problem here. I mean, <clears throat> obviously in the emergency vehicles crashes, we're seeing, Drivers who are maybe drunk, maybe asleep, they're not in control of the vehicle. We don't believe when it's running into the into the fire trucks. They've got it in autopilot mode, and how they're able to do that is the problem here. Um, they can. There are a number of ways to disable the um, autopilot driver monitoring you know there have been steering wheel they had a tesla buddy you could put on the steering wheel there are weights you can leave your hand on the wheel and do whatever else you want play a video game um all of those are ways to get around tesla's driver monitoring system if you want if you truly think that the vehicle is going to drive itself safely to your destination and you don't want to be bothered you're too lazy to drive or you want to do something else in this case there's a, an actual mode that's been inserted by tesla that allows that to occur basically you're not going to get nags if you're not touching the steering wheel the car can do whatever it wants and you can do whatever you want and and that's a huge problem obviously from a safety's perspective but it's you know it's nitsa once again choosing a reactive path they're saying oh we found out of you know they're, they're, it's like they're scrubbing the they're, they're they're scrubbing the wires every day and looking for a story and saying oh there's this elon mode let's go after that and they put out a special order on this meanwhile these teslas are still hitting emergency vehicles with flashing lights and nobody's getting to the root of that problem and it, it, you know some of the other issues we're seeing with tesla point to a pretty clear problem with the ability of these vehicles to see and respond to threats and we're not seeing NHTSA move on that point instead they seem to be finding i mean this is the third or fourth special order i've seen from them and you know they focused on in, in the past even in other recalls on things like Teslas that are programmed to be able to roll through stop signs. Um, these constant little things that pop up or that Elon decides are going to come out. I mean, he said six months ago he was going to loosen the reins on this steering wheel um, detection and the driver monitoring system. And it's been done. And now NHTSA is going back and cleaning up that little mess 
while not addressing the overall big mess that we're worried about, which is the continued ability, inability for these vehicles to detect threats and respond appropriately. So real quick, let me, I'm going to do a quick summary of, okay, so autopilot is basically lane keeping assist and automatic automated cruise control. Um, and pretty much all new vehicles sold today have some form of this. Uh, enhanced autopilot uh, does lane changes. So if you hit your blinker, it will safely or potentially move to the next lane or something like that. Again, a bunch of cars have this feature. Consumer Reports did a whole breakdown of every manufacturer that has it. it says Tesla is just kind of like, eh, kind of middle of the road at best on this. And then auto or it, uh, full self-driving is where it says, hey, we'll recognize stop signs, we'll recognize traffic lights, and we'll make unprotected left turns. Uh, and you can see some very funny videos about how dangerous that is. So with Tesla, this is great. So there was earlier this month is an article from Yahoo. Uh, earlier this month, uh, Musk live streamed himself driving a Tesla in Palo Alto, California, while using a phone, a violation of Tesla's own rules and California state law. And during this video, he had no nags in it. The The steering wheel didn't be like, hey, put your hands in the wheel. We're going to disable this function, anything like that. And I think that's how this hacker is like, wait a second. How did he get this thing? And let's go past it. It's a it's very funny. So uh, hidden in this article, well, at the bottom is Tesla has long said its driver assistance software is not a substitute for a driver and that currently enabled features do not make the vehicle autonomous. But many owners don't realize this because Michael's muted and he was saying something very smart, I'm sure, and very clever. Yeah, some some someone and something in my background can't keep the noise down. Is that a, is that a dog? I wish it was a dog. <laughs> I don't worry about the background noise. We can fix it in post. Uh, so again, I, I think not only NHTSA, but we've mentioned the FTC should probably go after them because of these advertising. Not that great. So, Michael NHTSA, besides these special orders, is anything going to happen? I don't know. I mean, they they hinted a couple of weeks ago that something bigger was coming down the line. Hopefully, it's. Yeah, hopefully it's a resolution of why Tesla's vision systems and their their planning systems that they've got working here to avoid obstacles and to prevent collisions aren't working um, and particularly aren't working in the situations that we've seen that are problematic, like, you know, fire trucks, emergency vehicles, roadside crews, motorcycles, and other issues. I mean, fundamentally, I, I would say we think that Tesla's, you know, safety systems aren't sufficiently mature to be operating, particularly not when there's a mode that's enabled that ensures that the human driver isn't going to wake up or respond to what's going on. So that's the that's the resolution we're hoping to see from the DOT and ultimately not, you know, simple responses to all the goofy things Elon comes up with every few months. Like fart mode. Uh, anyway, let's jump into something a little more serious. I Listeners, you remember ARC Automotive? We talked about them a few months back. This is when NHTSA said they spent eight years investigating their airbags and started initiating a, maybe a recall. It was very confusing to me in my simple brain. Uh, but now NHTSA is pushing again uh, for a voluntary for their uh, voluntary recall there. Uh, but ARC is fighting back, saying uh it's accusing NHTSA of overstepping its authority and calling the ruptures occasional isolated failures. So keep in mind, these are the the inflators, the little canisters of whatever magic gas is inside there. There's some extra welding slag in there. And when you get into an accident that activates the airbag, the airbag deploys, but also so does a little bullet. Some shrapnel comes in and injures and or kills people. Um, bad thing to happen. No. Uh, and some individual car manufacturers have said, hey, we're going to we're going to voluntarily recall these things because, you know, a dead customer is not a repeat customer. Arc Automotive objects. Uh, and this is ongoing right now. Yeah. So this is a few, I guess a few months ago, I want to say it was April and May ish. We were talking about the, and it's uh, had 
preliminarily notified um, ARC, the airbag manufacturer, that there was a defect, you know, that Anthony just described where the, this is ammonium nitrate bags. This is something that the agency has been looking at since Takata. It's similar in that there's an ammonium nitrate airbag, but the, the defect appears to be different in the Takata situation. You know, we have, I think somewhere around 30 deaths and a hundred plus injuries and that's because the ammonium nitrate in those bags is degrading. And um, when when the um, when it explodes, it's not a controlled explosion. It's all at once. It basically destroys the entire airbag and um, can kill or injure passengers. In the arc situation, there's a the weld flag that's cat that that apparently is not it. it the defect here is not a design defect like in Takata where you have a um, inherent defect in that can come out and it's in every bag. You know, you have a, a it's basically the defect in Takata is built into every bag here. It's, you know, it looks like it's only in the inflators that have this weld slag present. I think we've talked about before, whether that's, you know, a Friday afternoon issue. Is it something that is always present? We're not really sure. And so in this case, I think we've seen worldwide about two deaths and nine injuries, one death and six or seven injuries in the United States from these airbags. Um, there are about 50 million of them out there. And so, you know, it raises a question after NHTSA makes this initial determination, that's what's happened yesterday. You know, ARC came back a couple of months ago and said, we're not going to, we're not only didn't, not only they say, we're not going to recall these things right now. They said, NHTSA, you don't have even have the authority to order us to do this. Well, here comes NHTSA making initial defect determination that requests that the manufacturer ARC um, conduct a recall. And where that goes from here is very similar to the last time ARC, is going to come back and make a response. But the additional thing is that in a month from uh, a month from now, NITS is going to have a public hearing on this entire issue. The agency is going to present all of their arguments. ARC is going to pre present their arguments. You know, there, there will be an opportunity for interested groups and individuals to present their arguments. I'm sure we will. And um, at that point, there's functionally there's a decision to make arc either says hey we're gonna re recall these or the agency says yes you're gonna recall them and issues a final order that um art can then decide to recall or they can take nets to court um i expect that we might see the latter take place here um NHTSA is making some, you know, arguments that, you know, I haven't seen before around the de minimis part of the, there's a, there's a really long and tortured history of recalls involving, you know, a very few incidents across millions of products and manufacturers coming back and saying, well, this is going to be a, um, a problem because we're just not seeing enough incidents. This is a re this, this shouldn't be a recall. It doesn't occur often enough for it to be considered a real safety issue. And in this case where you have one death and six or seven injuries, I expect that the manufacturers are going to be trying to make NHTSA show, um, first of all, prove that this defect, the specific defect that's identified is what's taking place and prove that um, the recall is, you know, or the defect is not so small as to not require the agency to pursue a recall or this type of recall in the future. So there's a lot of issues there um, that are going to have to be worked out uh, probably in court at some point. There's an overriding issue, which is that the industry knows how to make these safe. They haven't done it for cars because they're not required to do it for cars. But I want to remind our listeners that the military has standards that assures similar devices are safe, not at the beginning of life, but at the end of life. So if they're designed, if their design life is, for example, 30 years, 
you can do a lot of accelerated life testing on devices like this and then go ahead and exercise them so that you can develop very high confidence and very high reliability for these devices. It's essential because they're life-saving or life-determining devices. Why NHTSA hasn't stepped up to this and put a standard in place that would once and for all solve this problem is a mystery to me. It seems like a straightforward thing to do. It's something that industry knows how to do. Uh, the only reason for not doing it, I suppose, is because <laughs> either they haven't thought of it or they just don't think it's important to save people's lives. I don't, uh, it's a mystery to me. But again, industry knows how to solve this problem. Industry solves this problem every day for military and commercial single shot devices, which is what they're called. Um, it's far past time for NHTSA to put a standard in place that requires automotive customers to get the same level of safety as people who use them in military and commercial applications. But Fred, so you're saying that um, that Michael's muted again. <laughs> I'm going to no. cut you off if I wasn't. That's so. <laughs> nah, okay. Yeah. I got it. But Fred, you're saying okay. So they do this for the the military uh, customers. They do, it, and so what? What experience would a little company like Arc have with military experience? Come on. Well, you might recall that they've been in the military business for. Oh, I don't know, since World War II, something like that, building exactly this same class of devices. Uh, oh, well, there goes my facetious argument. Michael. Well, NHTSA has also um, pointed out, you know, something really interesting here, which is that these are safety devices. You know, this isn't an axle. You know, it, it's not a tire. This is something that fundamentally is supposed to be keeping you safe in the car so where you might see you know an axle shaft break and you know the vehicle might be at a stoplight or it might not be moving or might be moving slowly and no one's injured here when these things rupture they are injuring people or killing people it's it's hard to escape shrapnel being ejected from a you know explosive device right in front of you um and with their heightened status as a safety device you know there's kind of an, a a bigger burden and i think we certainly agree with that there's a bigger burden on manufacturers when they're creating something that's explicitly a safety device to do so in a way that that prevents that device from becoming a a, a danger to 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 occupants and that's a pretty powerful argument that NHTSA made in its initial defect determination and i i think you know that argument might win the day if if this does end up in court i just want to remind our listeners again what shrapnel is shrapnel uh, when you say that it's kind of a euphemism shrapnel is a red hot piece of jagged metal that's traveling at high velocity and that's why so when we talk about shrapnel we're talking about red hot pieces of steel traveling at velocities you know close to the speed of sound that are directed at you this is this is not a happy experience for anybody who's been in the vicinity of shrapnel no and, and in fact in the some of the first Takata cases that came out you know there were some rather low speed collisions involved and police and emergency responders were initially investigating them as as murders or suspicious deaths because they had no idea what was going on at that point so it, it's certainly a, a violent and you know dangerous prospect and listeners that's why i drive wearing full flak jackets and blast shields i recommend you do the same but if you don't want to do the same go to autosafety.org and click that donate button that's right there you go that's a horrible transition from hot metal shrapnel to donation ask but hey that's what i do uh is it time for kyle i think it's time for kyle you know a little light-hearted fun time for kyle he needs his own theme music okay you don't know the kyle i'm talking about gm cruise and those robo taxis of hell so uh, in an incident on the 14th of August, first responders were treating, were treating a pedestrian who had been struck by a vehicle and had life-threatening injuries with significant bleeding. Two autonomous cruise vehicles had stopped in nearby lanes and were not moving, blocking ingress and egress, according to the San Francisco Fire Department. 
As the emergency crews loaded the patient into an ambulance, the vehicles remained stopped in two lanes and police attempts to take over the vehicles manually were unsuccessful. The fire department had to locate a police officer on scene and ask him to move his vehicle in order to leave the scene, which the report states further delayed patient care. Uh, unfortunately, in this case, the patient was late getting to the hospital and did not make it. Now, GM Cruz disputes this and they supplied uh, video from their angle to uh, to tech friendly outlets which i found interesting instead yeah. of like supplying this video to i don't know real YouTube. journalists <laughs> yeah or putting it on the internet for people to see you're right why not put it on youtube or give it to i don't know the new york times wall street journal washington post instead they gave it to TechCrunch and some blogger at forbes who as far as i can tell hasn't shared this video but uh, it's yeah where's the a, video kyle <laughs> <laughs> kyle where's the video well, this uh, is this one's interesting in a number of ways. I mean, first of all, the the person who ended up dying was struck by a vehicle uh, driven by a human, which Cruz has you know brought up in in their defense a number of occasions. Right. There's some debate around whether or not the emergency vehicles were actually or delayed or delayed long enough to um to hinder care being provided to the the pedestrian victim of the of the previous incident. So there's a lot of debate going on back and forth between Cruz and San Francisco officials on this issue. We haven't seen the video yet, so we don't we don't know. We're apparently at this point essentially relying on hearsay um, from both parties. But it would be interesting to to see the video and, you know, there's not much else to go on at this point, really, with, without without some actual uh, tape of the incident. Well, I, I'd go on at the fact that, OK, first responders, emergency first responders have been doing this kind of thing for, I don't know, 100 years. I mean, I don't know, pretty long time. Right. And so they're used to an emergency of getting people people to move their vehicles out of the way and causing problems. And this is there's no driver in the car and the police is just kind of like, well, we couldn't move it. And I guess what Jim Cruz has said in the past is, well, we have an 800 number and there's some YouTube videos on you can download to help how you can take over this vehicle, which is insanity. And perhaps their argument is going to be like, look, if you guys just got rid of all of your training for the last hundred years and just did this instead, it would have been OK, which is a dumb argument. And it's one I'm going to suggest that GM Cruz makes because, hey, when it comes to brains, let's talk GM Cruz. I know. I know. Um, but related to this, there was a large protest uh, this past Monday outside of Cruz's headquarters in San Francisco. Um, and so I guess the, the residents of San Francisco are, are just sick and tired of these things. It's uh, it's fascinating. Maybe it's because they don't have any say in the democracy of San Francisco because the residents are against it. The fire department's against it. The police are against it. But the state of California says, go for it. And what I find fascinating, correct me if I'm wrong, um, these, you know, Waymo is located in headquartered in Mountain View, California. They're, you know, these are Silicon Valley companies. And uh, there's no such thing as self-driving cars being allowed on the road in, in Silicon Valley, where these companies are headquartered. That seems surprising. When I worked in software, there was a saying called, eat your own dog food. If you're going to get customers to buy this stuff, you better say it's, mm, this is really good. And these guys will not eat their own dog food. They're letting it, they're letting their dog shit all over San Francisco. I mean, I, I think that's somewhat accurate. I mean, they're not listening to the people who are, you know, being affected by, by these cars. And, you know, we've, we've continued over and over to question whether there's an actual use case for these vehicles or whether they're just adding problems and commotion to the streets of San Francisco. Right now, it's, I think it's certainly the latter. I don't think you would see this type of, you know, this strong response from emergency services, from, you know, city leaders and commissioners 
to this problem if they didn't feel like they needed to do more here to address the situation, but they're powerless. I mean, they, they functionally can't do anything without running to the California DMV or running to the California Public Utilities Commission, which, as we know, has, you know, an interesting composition, including at least one former Cruz managing attorney. So there's a huge problem for for localities who are trying to keep their citizens safe um and you know i think we need to listen to them a lot more than we're doing rather than you know r- rushing to get state laws out there that that erase the ability for for local folks to take charge of their streets crazy concept there um Related to driverless cars, and I think we've touched on this in the past. There was research out of King's College of London. Um, they they found that through testing over 8,000 images through pieces of AI software, that detection accuracy, this is can the cars identify adults and pedestrians uh, that and children, that the AI software had a detection accuracy for adults that was almost 20% higher than it was for children and just over 75 percent more accurate for life light-skinned pedestrians compared to their darkest skinned counterparts um, the researchers say the major cause of this discrepancy is the uh, images used in the AI training systems basically they're putting a bunch of white adults into the training model and so the fairness of the AI systems like I'm not used to seeing children and or people with darker skin uh, hence we can't identify them hence this is going to be a safety thing in my mind, this seems like uh, a pretty easy problem to solve. Like I don't, I don't understand how you. I do actually, I do as I, I say this out loud. I do understand how you create this problem for yourself. You're a white dude sitting in an office, be like, "Hey, that's the only people who exist: white twenty-five to thirty-five-year-old men." And that's all I need photos of because I'm on Grinder all day. Wait, what? And this, you know, this sounds a lot like what we talked about with Beth Brook a few weeks ago, you know, about um, needing more female crash dummies, needing to get different bodies into different spots in the car, because right now, you know, you're safest as a uh, 50% white male driver in the driver's seat. Here, you know, we've, we're seeing something very similar where the training that AI is using is mostly based on, you know, presumably male western male white people and so they're not going to be able to detect anything else until those are introduced into the training regimen for this ai or this machine learning whatever these systems are that 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 the um article is discussing and you know this is just a fundamental matter of fairness you know no one should have a decreased chance of being detected by an oncoming vehicle um, I don't think anyone in America is willing to accept that as a proposition. And, um, well, maybe that's a little aspirational, but <laughs> I, 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 this is something that has to be worked out before these things get out on the roads and start making decisions that impact lives. Well, I think Michael put his finger on a, a fundamental problem here. This is really not AI is a misnomer. It's not intelligence. It's a correlation engine. And because it's a correlation engine, it always works in retrospective. So what does that mean? Uh, Training of these things is done by human beings. When a signal goes through the system, there's a human being somewhere at the end of the system that says, okay, you interpreted this as a goat. No, it's not a goat. It's a human being. And then the system goes back and records that as a probability that what it thought was a goat is actually a human being. So unless you put in lots and lots of pictures with lots of lots of diversity, and you have human beings at the end of it who interpret all of those pictures without their own prejudices impacting their interpretation of the images, then you're going to get a biased system, which is inadequate. So I... I, I think that calling it artificial intelligence really does a disservice to the whole public because it's not. It's, you know, it's something that if you think about it in chess, right, it doesn't project forward into a novel situation. What it does is it says, all right, I've looked at these 80,000 chess games that have been 
uh, that have been played in the past. And uh, you know, because of that, I have a statistical probability of X that moving my king to knight four is going to allow me to win this game. But, you know, the human being who's actually got a brain would be able to project forward using a variety of algorithms built into a brain like intelligence and, you know, understand much better the overall landscape and what it takes to win that chess game. The point, the point of that ramble is that artificial intelligence isn't intelligence. Artificial intelligence is only as good as the human beings who are looking at the images or inputs received by the artificial intelligence system and interpreting them with their own human biases and restrictions. Also, if you don't bring enough data into the system, you're not going to get a reasonable result out. So it's, <laughs> they used to talk about computers as garbage in, garbage out. In this case, they're not getting enough garbage in, and they're not filtering through <laughs> the garbage at the end. Uh, the good news on this is the uh, researchers on this paper, uh, they now hope that manufacturers will be more transparent when it comes to how their commercial pedestrian detection AI models are trained, as well as how they perform before they hit the streets. Uh, auto yeah <laughs> um i i agree but uh I, I look at this as the positive view is like okay these systems are very early on they're getting called out pretty early and this is not an expensive fix it's not even it doesn't even cost them anything it's like hey let's just get a wider array of images to train these systems on um or else we all look like racists in our artificial intelligence that hate children that's true. But the state of the art is for the companies to just put these cars out on the street and then use the data that they accumulate as they drive to try to improve the driving algorithms. This is really ass backwards, right? So they're, they're putting untrained systems out on the street, hoping that they're going to train themselves without the benefit of the humans. And the only parameter that the human beings interpreting it, meaning the test drivers, is whether or not there's a catastrophic uh, event that makes them take over control of the vehicle or it crashes or something else horrible happens. So the, this is really a very, very poor way of training a machine learning system to avoid critical circumstances that can kill the person who's inside the car. But that's what Tesla is based on, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly that, that right. whole concept is machine learning through these cameras to produce a robo-taxi. Right. And so, where's, so where's the bank of, un, of uh, unbiased humans at the end who are doing this interpretation? I'm going to bet you a nickel that there isn't any such person. They're just waiting for a catastrophic outcome and then saying, oops, I guess that's bad. We'll have to look into that. <laughs> well, you know, it depends on what bad is to you. Fred, this makes me beg the question. I'm going to ask you the question. I don't know if you're ready for it. How safe is safe enough? Uh, oh, welcome to today's Tao or Dow. You've now entered the Dow of, of Fred. Fred. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, the rationale for uh, giving AVs a free pass in state legislations uh, meaning vacating all of the normal restrictions on automobile safety and travel is that they will inevitably dramatically improve highway safety. And we've all heard the, the blather about 94% reduction in accidents and collisions and all that sort of stuff, which, which is wrong, by the way. NHTSA has never produced a study that says there will be a 94% reduction in human-induced traffics. But there was an interesting video that came out this week from... Uh, our friend Phil Koopman, which which talked about this in some interesting terms. Now, we are as guilty as others of saying, well, the minimum standard for introduction onto the road should be you've demonstrated it as safe as a human as human drivers. Uh, I want to emphasize that is a minimum standard because as Phil points out, that if you're talking about something that is the safest human driver in the overall statistics, which is one death per every 100 million miles, which, by the way, means um, serious injury 
but once every 100,000 miles is a roughly factor of 10 between serious injuries and deaths. If you do that, then you are including all of the drunks and spectacularly bad drivers in your standard for what as safe as a human driver is. If your standard is a human driver who is not drunk and who's attentive, we're really, according to Phil, talking about one death roughly every billion miles driven. Now, it's interesting to me that if, if we look at that, it actually comes back to the NHTSA study that talks about contributions to death from various factors. And it's very similar to the number that you come up with if you look at NHTSA's figures for deaths due to vehicle failures. Now, we've been saying on this show that the deaths due to vehicle failures should be the parameters for AVs because, after all, if they're driving and something bad happens, like an injury or a death, it's because the vehicle has failed. So I think that we are converging with Phil on a standard of roughly, you know, one per billion miles, something like that, before you can turn these things loose on the street and say that they are relatively safe compared to human drivers and compared to, uh, human drivers in the best of circumstances. So the other thing he points out is it is not okay to use a single safety parameter because one of the things that you would happen in that is that you could talk about risk transfer on the vulnerable populations. So what that means is that let's say that you have an algorithm that always kills a pedestrian instead of killing the person inside the car. I have an right? algorithm that always kills a pedestrian instead of someone in the car. Was this interactive? Yes, uh, well, I'm not. Sh- <laughs> I'm not sure where you're headed with that. Well, but- you said let's say, and I, you know, I wanted to join in the conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate your support. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so you know, that's an additional parameter. There should be no risk transfer to vulnerable populations. Uh, should also be that a regulation is in place that says there's no negligent computer programming. You should. Well, don't come on. <laughs> Sorry, this makes me flash back to to interviewing software engineers. And this one guy came in, and he's like, uh, he flat out states, "I write bug free code." He said that flat out, full of you know middle aged white man confidence. I write bug free <laughs> code, and I reacted the same way I did just now. I burst out laughing, and I was like. <laughs> then we can't afford you. Have a nice day. All right. Well, this perspective is just a little different. (laughs) What he meant by negligent computer programming is uh, code that allows vehicles to violate the law, rolling, you know, going through red lights. Like Tesla and the rolling through stop signs. Got it. Oh, yeah, to name one. Yeah, and we're not sure about the others. So that's an important additional parameter. And then he also said that, um, which makes obvious sense, the vehicles should conform to industry standards for safety testing vehicles before you start testing them on city streets. Now, there is a standard uh, from SAE called SAE J3018-3018 that addresses the safety of driving, test driving autonomous vehicles. But it turns out that that's a very immature document. We're currently in the process of updating that standard for uh, what the test driving uh, st- uh, parameters should be. So I, I think that even though it's a great idea, it's immature. And I, th- I think that the industry should really look very cautiously at testing these things on the street. If there is no applicable standard that's been updated and reflects the current state of the art. Well, does, does anybody actually comply to SAE? J3018? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know of anybody who's doing that. I don't it's, know of any company that has said in their literature that, yeah, we're, we're doing J3018. What they did instead is they started an industry group called the Advanced uh, Autonomous Vehicle Safety Coalition, Aww. which contains no input from any regulator contains no input from any consumer advocacy. It's just the promoter's ideas of what's good for them. So, yeah, there's there's nothing out there that's universally accepted. So, Fred, you work with SAE, right? 
I do. Okay. I think part of the problem is, and, and maybe you can address this, is changing these things from SAEJ80 blah to the uh, let's not be a dick standard. Let's not be a dick and hurt people standard. Because I, I think it'd be easier for legislators to get behind that. Like I can't, there's not a single legislator, even as lunatic as some of them are, that'd be like, wait a second. No, I support hurting people. What Instead of giving them these very technical dry names that not even the engineer's mothers would love. Well, that's true, but I think you're being very sexist about your observation. So <laughs> their fathers uh, wouldn't love them either. Uh, no, about the the whole dick thing. I, <laughs> we need to we need to be more universal. Anyway, so there's another parameter that uh, that Phil talks about, which is that other ethical and equity concerns also need to be included in that discrimination for any of a variety of reasons. And very importantly, the liability associated with these things. Uh, you know, Mercedes says, well, we accept responsibility for any problem that occurs during the uh, testing of level three in Nevada, where it's been approved. But it hasn't been tested in a court yet. We don't, you know, we suspect that what's going to happen when they're in front of the judge is they're going to say, like Tesla does, ah, no, not our problem. We have fine print that says you need to be in control at all times. And yeah, we were just kidding about that whole responsibility part. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're they're accepting responsibility for, you know, actions, some actions in civil court. They're not they're not accepting responsibility criminally because they can't even make that determination right they uh, the state could still charge the driver of one of those vehicles regardless of what mercedes wants so they 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 can only partially accept responsibility in that scenario and it's still going to be a a legal burden on whoever's operating the vehicle and phil also points out that you, you there should be no allowance for preemption of local concerns like we're seeing in san francisco where they just get overruled because after all the people who are in charge of the city streets are the people in the city they fix the potholes they put up the stop signs they know what's going on in the city to the extent that anybody does uh there should be no preemption by higher authorities that say you must vacate all of your rules because the steamroller's coming and you, you damn well better make room for it um, the steamroller is a new model from GM, right? It's part of their Hummer EV line, the steamroller? It is, and they're okay. injecting that steamroller technology <laughs> into their entire AV line. Oh, good. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, yeah, the calling is the Kyle Mobiles. Kyle. <laughs> and finally, you know, there should be absolute prohibition against interruption of emergency services from whatever source that takes. And if you cannot field a vehicle where you can guarantee that it's not going to interrupt emergency services, your damn shouldn't put it on the road. People's lives are at stake. And whether whether or not it turns out that uh, Cruz was liable in San Francisco for the death of that person in the ambulance, it is very clear from all the evidence that the Cruz vehicle remained stationary in the second lane from the, from the right rather than pulling over right. to the right like any human being would right yeah it was screwing it was screwing up traffic whether it screwed up that ambulance regardless it was once again screwing up traffic by having a uh what do we call it an existential crisis in the lane by itself so anyway for our listeners how safe is safe enough who knows but we're nowhere close to that now and it's very important to establish that because how would a developer know they've reached the destination if they don't know what the hell the destination is uh You've got somebody's got to set a standard for this. Somebody's got to establish rules of the road where no rules of the road exist. Uh, that's got to be either us NHTSA. or it's got to be NHTSA. So I vote us because NHTSA. Well, we would be faster. Yes. <laughs> However, uh, you know, if we made the rules, there might be, we wouldn't be taking into account, you know, the investors in crews i don't think we would we would more be taking into account the people on the streets who are impacted by this whereas they're taking into account their bottom line um so that's a completely different calculation that often leads to humans literally getting thrown under the bus absolutely and you know the start of this technology was you know really about 10 years ago more or less 
where they were promising that that self-driving vehicles would be on the street in 2014, 2015, right? So mm-hmm. the investors are getting a little nervous, I think, and a little pushy. Uh, it's hard for them to get their money out if there's no IPO in the offing. And these things are years away from an IPO. So I imagine Kyle's getting a lot of crews from his, a lot of, um, excuse me, a lot of pressure from his overseers at Cruise saying, you know, we need to, we need to get our money out here. We've only got 20 billion. We want 30 billion out. So get your ass in gear, Kyle. Move this money out. (laughs) Whoa, the wealthy. Not only do they have to deal with this, but they're stuck in the mud at Burning Man. Oh, the poor wealthy. Uh, speaking of stuck in the mud, this is not stuck in the mud at all, but this is one of going to be one of our new uh, favorite topics, talking about the weight of electric vehicles. Uh, we unfortunately can't link to this article, but if you're a subscriber to Automotive News, um, you can read this article. It's a, it's a good one. It's talking about how uh, vehicles keep getting larger and larger and way more and more, and that is dangerous. There's a quote in here. Um, and I, oh, I had it highlighted. Oh, come on. Where did it go? It's fine. It's okay, Anthony. You know, I think our listeners have accepted your incompetence at this point. Oh, come on. No, it's a coffee defect. It's It's not a coffee defect. It's a, this is a human failure. Okay. This is why I'm not artificially intelligent. Um, but, uh, Basically, the uh, the quote in there is from a, a young man named Michael Brooks talks about, hey, the, it's a physics problem. The heavier these vehicles get, the more danger it is for other road users. I want to point out this because as a, as a lay person, which I, I, I think I am most of the time, um, because I am laying down while recording this, is uh, it, you don't think of road users. You think of, okay, other drivers. No, road users are pedestrians, other people on bicycles, they're people on unicycles. Like, I mean, you know, there's, it's everybody else in the road. And I think we always, at least I tend to forget that. So it's not just worrying about the other driver. It's being aware that, oh, someone decided to bolt across the road in front of me. And so this article is great because it says, hey, instead, let's focus on, you know, intelligent speed assist technology. Um, let's focus on automatic emergency braking. Uh, let's uh, make these things way less. But hey, you guys are the ones who uh, were interviewed, not me. You know, I, I, this is obviously a problem we've talked about for a while now, and it's, you know, happening right in front of our eyes. This is the data isn't in yet because there simply aren't enough of these super heavy vehicles on the road. You know, the, the, the GM Hummer EV is slowly coming out. I think they're over a thousand or 2000 made. Now we're not really sure how many of those have actually made it to the streets and are running around the um pickup truck and large suv market is starting to pick up evs and those are going to be going out on the roads the next few years so that the data to go back and look at this isn't really isn't there yet i mean if we if we want to we can't show that there are more fatalities more injuries um at this point but in our experience over 50 years uh suggests that you know weight is undefeated in crashes the more weight you add to a crash the worse outcomes you're going to have um it's you know sheer physics and unless these vehicles are just dramatically redesigned to account for the additional weight which they're not being uh they're not being redesigned if you look at you know for instance an f-150 lightning versus an f-150 they look very similar except one weighs 1800 pounds more than the other um so and another thing that was in that article, which is just continues to be shocking to me, there's a figure we see that going up every year is that's now almost 80% of the vehicles, new vehicles sold are SUVs or trucks. Um, we're not, you know, I own a sedan I'm, I, and I don't, it doesn't look like we're like sedans are going to be available much longer. Maybe they're going to go the way of the convertible um, and manufacturers are simply going to stop making them because the demand appears to be reducing. And I don't know if it's just the demand. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the big auto companies 
make more money on SUVs and large trucks. And so they're incentivized to make more of those so that they continue to make more money. It ensures that they have economic growth in their company when, when the sedan market was, you know, apparently limited in profits for them. So we need smaller cars on the road and we need a lot more of them in the next 10 years. And right now we're headed in the opposite direction. Um, and we think that's going to have bad outcomes for safety. Agreed. We need more public transportation too. We need more buses. We need, you know, because uh, we've talked before about the whole idea that all of the savings available from use of electric vehicles are pretty marginal. I mean, if everybody were driving an electric vehicle, you might save 10 or 20% of the energy that's currently going into. Uh, gasoline consumption by these vehicles but this you know the the idea that you're saving 10 or 20 percent overall that's not going to save the world folks you know what will what will save the world is for you to take the bus take the train but the, one of the problems with that of course is that the buses and trains have to exist before you can use them there's really a, a high level policy situation here that, that needs to be addressed and it's not going to be i don't think because you know the nation that has decided to use air travel instead of trains even when the point-to-point -point time would be the same uh is is coming up with an odd energy solution well hey fred what's good for gm is good for the u.s right maybe not well they were they can always build locomotives Oh, uh, a GM locomotive. I don't, uh, you know, uh, I'm not no, sure. Flying so. cars, flying cars, flying, flying cars. The answer. Oh, my word. I, I, I look forward to the recall roundup. When we have flying cars. Let's do some recalls and round them up. Strap in. Ford. Ford re, 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 recalls again. This is, uh, according to Michael's note, the fifth recall on these vehicles since March 2021. Wait, what? They've. Five recalls since March 2021. Damn. Hey, listeners, if you're playing at home, guess what this recall concerns? Do, 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 do. Hey, if you said rear view camera, you're correct. That's right. Uh, this is uh, potentially 169,000 plus uh, Ford vehicles, 2020 to 2023 Lincoln Aviators, 2018 to 21 Navigators. Uh, some transit, some Ford Broncos, the rear view camera or 360 degree view camera, if equipped, may not display a rear view image when the vehicle is placed in reverse. This, um, this, I, I'm not going to assume that what's happening here, but I'm going to tell you a story. When I was in college, I had a professor who worked on GM's assembly line in the 80s, and he said, We, we, you know, one of the things we did, we did a work slowdown. And then what they did is they put something that smells really bad and they painted the inside of the vents on some like Chevy Malibu booze. And so every time people put on the heat, it would smell like rotten eggs in the cars. Oh. I know, horrible. But, you know, the GM had to keep bringing these cars into the dealer and they had to replace all these vents because they couldn't figure out what it was. With all of these rear view camera issues, is this what's going on? Is this some sort of like labor slowdown? Because uh, this is just. Uh, I, I can't understand why else this is happening. Do we have any guesses? This, this one just smacks to me. I mean, there's been so many recalls in this one issue, and every one of them was kind of like a, uh, well, we're not really sure. One of them, the root call wasn't determined. We, we you know, fit here, we'll do try this software fix. But ultimately, what the recall that's coming out now is we're going to replace the camera. Finally. So hopefully this is finally the hardware fix that that wasn't um, happening in the in the previous recalls on this issue. And it, it's really, you know, we, we see something similar in a lot of recalls now where manufacturers appear to be scrambling to find a, a cheap software fix to pop onto these vehicles so that they don't have to replace hardware because that's you know, instead of pulling into a dealership and getting a quick software update or getting an over-the-air update, at that point, you've got a physical repair to make that involves the mechanic and a lot more work and time and money goes into the situation. So software 
updates as recalls are much preferred by the industry at this point um even though they don't address often the the you know the physical defect that's present in these vehicles they're they're mitigating um the problem in many respects and they offer a cheaper alternative to physical repairs to manufacturers so they're very popular um that's what this situation looks like and we've had this two and a half year period between the time the defect was identified and now when they're actually going to say okay we'll replace the camera um which buys them a lot of time and saves them a lot of money in the process as well and makes it look like they're doing their due diligence to NHTSA when in fact under the covers we're not sure what's going on in a lot of these in a lot of these situations. We've seen them a number of times recently, not just with Ford, um, also with Hyundai and Kia and other manufacturers where these recalls seem to drag on. You get a new recall. You're replacing something different this time because the software in the first one didn't work right. When, you know, if in the first instance, these manufacturers make that actual repair that they know will fix the problem, but that's a little more expensive um, these issues could be fixed more quickly and consumers would be a lot happier with their purchases. So we thought, we think ultimately these kind of strategies are going to fail. Um, and, you know, it's something that the agency NHTSA needs to keep an eye on because they've got a few recall queries going on right now on similar issues. And it's only, you know, as soft as computers and cars merge into one, this problem is only going to get bigger. Hey, Michael, can people go to the Piggly Wiggly to get this fixed or do they, do they have to go to a Ford dealer? They have to go to a Ford dealer. And it would be, that's another thing, you know, and, you know, we talk about this in the Hyundai Kia theft context. It would be really nice if these software um, recalls could be brought to consumers versus the other way around. I mean, you're talking about putting a guy in a car with the usb stick that can drive around to consumers and plug it in for them instead of having every consumer visit the dealership one at a time if we want to create better efficiency on our roads a mobile recall repair for software issues makes a whole lot of sense and it's something that i hope a lot of manufacturers start doing that's a great idea Hey, listeners, uh, Fred may be on the take of the Piggly Wiggly Corporation, but we're not. So go to autosafety.org, click donate, become a monthly donor, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, $5,000 a month, whatever you want to do. Um, we'll appreciate it. Our next recall, again, involving Ford, uh, truck emergency release may fail. Nope. Lie. This is Kia. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ford. Trunk emergency release may fail. This is Kia, 319,000 vehicles, uh, recalling certain 2016 to 2017 Rios, Optimas, Optima Hybrid, Optima plug-in vehicles. The trunk latch base may crack, preventing the opening of the trunk from the inside. And we've discussed the safety need around this very issue itself. Um, so definitely get that fixed, right? Absolutely. This was what we discussed with our um, with Jeanette Fennell from Kids and Cars, and she, she and her husband had a terrible, terribly traumatic experience in the trunk of a car. Um, and Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard 401 was the result of that after a, a long fight to get it basically to ensure that not only to put a glow-in-the-dark trunk handle into the trunk, which is um, part of the standard, but also to ensure that the v- that the trunk can be opened from the inside, which is important in this recall. It, it appears not that there's some kind of damage to the trunk re- the, the the trunk handle, the glow-in-the-dark handle that you're required to pull, but there's a problem with it actually opening the trunk in the, in this recall. And that's important for anyone that's trapped in a trunk. It's not just important if you're kidnapped. It's important if you're a kid and you climb in the trunk on a hot day. Um, so there are a lot of reasons why we need to be able to escape trunks. And, you know, Anthony's kids probably have a few. Wait, what? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I want to mention that most cars now have an electric trunk release. Right, so you can push a button on the dashboard, your trunk pops open. Yep. And uh, if you have children, uh, maybe they're not like my children, but you know, children tend to get into cars and push buttons to see what can happen. Uh, if you have a Tesla, they can push a button and drive away the car, but that's a different <laughs> issue. But this is a, you know, this is a real safety issue for anybody with uh, children or anybody in their life who may like to push buttons and fool around. And there's a lot of us out there. Yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> if you like to push buttons, maybe a career in engineering's for you. All right, we're uh, we're out of time. I'm just going to close on one fun little uh, story that I didn't share with either of you guys because it's too good. This is an article in the Guardian. The headline is Toyota blames factory shutdown in Japan on insufficient disk space. <laughs> Yeah, Toyota shut down all of its factories in Japan because they ran out of hard drive space. <laughs> yeah, and 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 these are companies that we think can make auto autonomous vehicles. Like, give me a break. This is they reiterated this is not a cyber stat a cyber attack. Um, basically, uh, you know, we made a mistake with our database, and uh, I don't know. Didn't have the extra hard drives laying around. Oh, I love that. Uh, I love so, that. <laughs> yeah, auto manufacturers just as messed up as we are. Yeah, those okay. are the guys in charge of developing the new solid state battery that's going to save us all. Oh, you know, hopefully they have enough disk space for that. But we're out of disk space. Thank you, listeners. We'll uh, be in touch with you next week with more exciting news. And, you know, we'll see whatever dumb shit Kyle does next week. <laughs> thank you bye bye thanks everybody for more information visit www.autosafety.org